Good morning, let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, and then tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know He'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home. Trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove to more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for praise. Trust Him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove to more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. It is good to see each of you in the Lord's house this morning, as we have given me the signal that I am not on. <laughs> but it's good to have... Oh, now I'm on. Uh, so, Rose... Mike and Rose back there at the sound booth. Rose is getting ready to have a baby here just within a couple weeks. And uh, her mom and dad have come in all the way from Taiwan. And then her sister as well, all the way from the Carolinas. Yes, uh, they're all excited and anticipating the soon coming of the line of the family there. But uh, Matt is a missionary. And um, he has come to go ahead and come to the United States, make kind of a shift in your ministry, I understand. And then uh, Marla, his wife, and then I want to make sure I get Beth right. I didn't want to name her, I didn't want to call her something else. It's always a mistake when that happens, isn't it? But we're going to have Matt open us in prayer this morning to start off our services. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can gather in your house this morning, that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that uh, we come as your children uh, into your house to worship you. We pray now that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word, in our fellowship together, that you would be lifted up uh, in our singing, in our praying. We ask that you would uh, uh, just bless the time of fellowship that we have together after the service as well. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be
please stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Sing to the King. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. No. 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. This week, I was working up in my office, and I heard Hillary's voice out in the secretary's area chatting, and so I got up, came out of my office, because I wanted to go ahead and uh, say hi to Theo and Finley, and, and Mom, too. But when I got out there, no Theo and no Finley. I said, well, where are the kids? And she said, well, actually, William, today's my birthday, and William took the day off, and he's watching the kids. and. 
And so I asked her, well, what are you doing for your birthday? She said, well, a few things, but she said, I told William, one of the, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing on my birthday is going and practicing music here at the church. And I thought to myself, isn't that great? That on your birthday, you're excited and looking forward to coming and singing and preparing to minister at your church. And so I thought that was great. Minister to me for you to say that. face to face to meet my king face to face 
to take your Bibles with me, if you would please, and turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 23 on down through verse 28. And what we find in the book of Philippians here is the Apostle Paul talking about, as God inspires him to pen these words, himself being torn about whether he's going to get to Philippi again or not. Whether he's going to be able to go and minister to this church again, or if he'll only be able to write to them. And as pastors, you know, when we, when we have pastored a church or been a part of a church, there's a link, there's a bond there between your people. Uh, I pastored in Kansas for 40, uh, I said 40 years, I meant four years. I'm not old enough to have pastored in Kansas and here and have it be 40 years. Although the combination of the two does make 40 years, but... 35 years ago, I pastored in Kansas. I still have a link with some of the folks there. And of course, I've been here for a long time and I have a link with our church family, our, our community, our community of faith. When you come to Philippians chapter one and you look at these verses from verse 23 on down, you can hear the heart Paul has for the church in Philippi. So as I read down, I want you to listen and hear his heart. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. For me, by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we look into these scriptures, as we hear the heart of the apostle for the church in Philippi, as we understand that it is you that has inspired these penned words that throughout all generations, including ours, we might be able to draw spiritual truth from it. I pray for your Holy Spirit to stir and move in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we come into this text, what we find is the apostle challenging them. He's saying to them, whether I come or I only hear, I have some things I want to hear about your church. And you and I, you and I are the church. It's not the building, it's not the platform, it's not the carpet, none of this stuff. This is just a building. Buildings come and go. The church is the people. And he's writing to the people. And he's connected to the people. 
And he's concerned about their lifestyle, how they're living their faith. In fact, when you look down here, if you would, at verse 27, he says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word conversation in 1611, when this was translated out of the Greek, that word conversation meant much more than just words. Today, if we have a conversation, it's just words. But then that word meant entire lifestyle. He's saying, let me hear of your lifestyle. So let's change that in that as I read it down. And I want you to, I'm going to read it again. Only let your lifestyle the life you live, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So each of us here in the year 2023, you and I that are the church, that we're born again, we've been added unto this local congregation, but we're the children of God. Here we find God writing to us and he's telling us, let our lifestyle be becoming to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to start enumerating it out a little bit. The first thing he says is that lifestyle should become Christ. It should reflect well on the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly as we think about those things, we think about the day and age we live in. Because I think that much that goes on around us in this world, if we bring it into our lives, it really doesn't reflect well on Jesus. If we talk like the world, if we live like the world, if we dress like the world, if we think like the world around us, then it's not very becoming to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, I used to be able to, and I know this is really going to date me, but my parents would buy albums with, I know it's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> of comedians. So like when I was a kid, Bill Cosby was a big comedian and, and those, so they would buy these big albums and we would sit in the living room, that radio would play and we would all laugh at that uh, Fat Albert jokes and all that stuff that's so incorrect today. But you know what? We as a family, we could sit down and listen to a very famous comedian of that day. Can't do that anymore, can you? If you go ahead and go to Netflix and put on a com comedian, it's not long. I'm wanting to shut it off. Our world has changed dramatically. And so here he's telling us, he's saying to us, listen, the lifestyle we live should honor or reflect well on Christ. First Peter chapter three, verse three says, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. You see, the Bible is concerned about the heart of us, but he says, you know what? You need to also be conscious of all that you do with the outside that it honors Christ. It's interesting that he touches on these things. One of the things I had to really think about is he comes down and he says, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair. And I thought, wow, that's the last concern I have is the plating of my hair. <laughs> but I will tell you, last night I was on the phone to my 87 year old mother. I went ahead and video chatted with her. 87, 
67, and we're video chatting. Doesn't it make you teenagers proud? <laughs> so she, she says to me, she says, Tim, you know, if you grew that beard longer, you could be Santa for Christmas. <laughs> I said, Mom, I've got more to do at Christmas than to be Santa. So we chatted a minute, and, and I told her, I said, not only that, I don't have the hair for Santa. She says, oh, no, but you look good bald. I said, I'm not sure that's good. Didn't know where to go with that. So she then went on to a whole conversation about all the uncles I had that were bald on some form of the family that I didn't know. You and I, in this world that we live in, sometimes we forget that our appearance really does say some things about us. And here, he's talking to us about modesty. He's talking to about practical Christian living. He's saying the way we live should reflect well on Jesus. Certainly, it's tragic to me the way that uh, even Christian parents take their small children. And kids today are so sexualized. I completely don't get it that moms and dads want to dress or, or make up their kids who are only six, seven, eight, nine years old. They want to make them out like they're 23-year-old grown women. Man, let them babies be babies. Let them grow up. Don't shove them into this world. But when you look at this, he's talking to us about think about the way you live. Whether it be the way you dress, he says, putting on of apparel, whether the way you adorn yourself, everything. Ask yourself, does the way I appear, does it reflect well on Jesus? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And I don't care whether it's men or women. We should be a modest people. Amen? I mean, I think that just makes sense. He tells us, he says, be modest. Use shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh professing of godliness with good works. Again, he's saying to us, he says, step back and look at your life. And Paul is saying, as I hear about the church in Philippi, or I go to the church of Philippi, I'm looking to find out that you are living a life that becomes Christ, that honors Christ. I'd like you to look with me to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 on down through 31. He says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, but gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We find that throughout the scriptures, God addresses modesty, morality, 
he expects you and I as Christians to step back and ask ourselves, is my life honoring to Christ? The way I look, the way I talk, the places I go, the things I do, is my morality based upon good, godly, biblical principles? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in, that in thee also. It's interesting when you look in the scriptures, the, uh, the apostle, as he writes to Timothy, he says to him, you know what? I see in you a life that honors Jesus. And... He says, I saw it in your mom, and I saw it in your grandma, and I am assured that it is a real part of who you are. You and I, when we look into the scriptures, we find that God challenges us about very practical things. It's not always deep theological. It's oftentimes right here where we live, practical. And this scripture is challenging us. Live a lifestyle, live a life that becomes Christ. Live a life, a life like Timothy, like Lois's mother, I mean his grandmother, like Eunice's mother. Be somebody who honors God. Look back with me at our text there in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Look again with me at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. When God hears, when, when the Lord hears about us, when he looks from heaven to above and he looks down upon this earth and he sees the affairs of our lives, the doings, the lifestyle of our lives, what does he see? 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. It's not that God is going to give you and I a, a list and come down. And he's not going to go ahead and say to us, well, you can't, you can't wear shiny black shoes. You need to wear dull gray shoes. It's not that you can't blah, 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 blah. He's not going to do that in the New Testament. He's going to tell us that we need to be people who are sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Ghost. We need to ask God, Lord, is, is the way I'm living my life honoring to Christ? That's a question every one of us has to just stop and consider. Because life is a rush. Every day it's so busy. And there's so many influences upon us. We just have to slow down and think about it. Look at what he goes on to say there in Philippians chapter 1, the second part of verse 27. Again, the verse says, only let your conversation or lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs. I might hear about the way you live your life. That ye stand fast in one spirit. So he starts listing it out. He says, I want to hear that you live in one spirit. You're, you're in unity in your spiritual condition as a church. You and I need to remember that disunity dishonors God. Go into the Old Testament and you find that it's an abomination to the Lord for that to be a, a part of a church. We have to work towards unity because we're all different, aren't we? 
We are all uniquely different. If we were to go around the room and ask, we would see that there are people who have different economic backgrounds, different kinds of childhoods, all kinds of different faiths. I was raised in a completely agnostic family. It, maybe there was a God, maybe there wasn't, nobody knew and nobody cared. It wasn't until I became a teenager that I personally cared about God to seek and to know, and he wooed me to salvation, and I, born again, completely freaked out my family, but that's okay. But then there's others in here, if I were to go around the room, there are people who, from the time they were born, they knew about Jesus. In fact, their parents knew. Their grandparents knew. You and I come from all different spiritual backgrounds, economic backgrounds, regional backgrounds. We don't have a huge ethnic diversity here, but we have lots of other diversity. But yet God calls us to unity when it comes to spiritual truth. We should be unified in salvation. One of the unique things about a Baptist church is a Baptist church takes the scriptures and says, you can't be part of the church unless you're born again. Because when you come into the scriptures, it teaches us that when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you push aside your sins and ask God's forgiveness, you call upon Christ to save your soul and to come into your heart, you are born into the family of God. And the church is an extension of that. And so as Baptists, we teach that the membership should always be born-again believers. We're unified in that. You and I. We have to ask ourselves, do I work at being unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ in faith? Because it matters. It's important. We should be a people who are unified through salvation and baptism. Do you know it's interesting when you come to the New Testament, what was the first step of obedience they had? After they received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they got baptized. Why? So that they could let the whole world know I have died to the old man and resurrected to the new. I've accepted that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a powerful symbol for all humanity when Christians are baptized. And in the very earliest church age, we find that when they received Christ, they got baptized. They were unified in that. You and I, <clears throat> we should strive to be unified in our faith concerning Christ, concerning the practice of all the teachings of the New Testament, we need to go ahead and be unified in service. As a church, we should care about serving for the Lord. We, in fact, I've showed you many scriptures that teach us that we are called unto good works, aren't we? This morning, we watched that little video of our missionary in the Philippines. And we sent him $1,500. Now, out of a church our size, $1,500 is not a huge amount of money. But I will, I'll tell you, to that Philippine mission work, that's a lot of money. Because they were, their ministry was greatly hindered without that vehicle. But you and I pulled together in our missions effort. We pulled together in our labor, in our community effort. We pull together like building a garage or doing vacation Bible school or having junior church right now or nursery. 
We pull together in unity to see the cause of Christ go forward. This last week, Brother Terry has a passion for us having gospel tracts at the fair. And so I told him, I said, Terry, well, for the last several years, I've said, Terry, we'll work to get a group, but if we don't get a group, it's impossible for you to do it by yourself. So we put it out there and we had a response and we will do it again this year. Why? Because there are people who said, yeah, I'll do my share. I'll do a part. I'll do a three hour shift. I'll go give out gospel tracts at the fair. Maybe one person will come to Christ. So when we look at these things, we understand that he's saying to them, I want to hear whether I come there or whether I am far away and never come again. I want to hear of your unity, your, your, your unity in the spirit. The third thing we come down is we see a lifestyle of, un, of unified labor. And, th and this is a little unique in the sense that we don't often think of a church laboring. But let's go back here and let's look at our text. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs and that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Being of one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word striving there really implies great effort. Genuinely putting, putting something into it. Not passive, not casual, but you're vested into that thing. Brother Bill plays the drums over here. And oftentimes when I'm sitting over here, I'll watch him playing the drums. And he's into it, isn't he? He does it with taste. He does it well. Uh, he's not trying to go ahead and, and spin the things. And he's not trying to impress everybody. He is, just, he is just doing the work of God for the cause of Christ. Well, this morning as I was sitting over here, I looked over and there's his son Alex sitting right over there. And I can see under the pew and I see his feet going. He's training, man. He's the drummer of the future. Because one day he's going to serve the Lord in some capacity, maybe drummer, who knows, maybe the song leader, I don't know. Who knows what God has for him in the future of his life. You and I, we influence the next generation by what we do. And we should be striving, laboring, working. We should be vested into the furtherance of the gospel. I was reading an article the other day about Europe. Christianity in Europe, the closing of churches throughout Europe. And the article went on to say that America is in danger of the same. Because all across our country, there are churches that cannot find pastors. All across our country, there are congregations that are no longer laboring to get the gospel out into their communities. You and I, we have a unique church in a unique state. One of the least religious states in the entire nation. And you know that when you leave Vermont, you go, go to Carolinas or something like that. And there's a church on every single corner. But you and I, we are the remnant here. 
the remnant of believers who know and love God. And we must take to heart what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's saying, I want to hear, hear that ye are of one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's not that they're just believers. They're striving together for the gospel. Brother Terry's passion for gospel tracts is a shared passion with us as a church. Vacation Bible School. We could stop doing it, but we want to influence boys and girls for Christ. Youth camp. Every year it takes a tremendous amount of time, energy, and finances for our church to help the churches of our fellowship to have a successful youth camp. Why do we do it? Because we want to strive together for the furtherance of the gospel. Doesn't matter what it is. If it gets the gospel out there, we want to be busy about the master's business. I want you to come down and look with me again at our text because I want you to see the fourth of these things. First of all, we saw the lifestyle that becometh Christ. Then we saw the lifestyle of spiritual unity. Then we just talked about the lifestyle of unified labor, striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. The last one I want you to see is down into the next verse, verse 28. Listen to what it says at the very first part of verse 28 in Philippians chapter 1. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So he just talked to them about being unified, didn't he? He says, I want to hear whether I come and see or else be absent. I want to hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit and of one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. For you and I nowadays, uh, we don't have a lot to be terrified by in our adversaries of the faith. This morning when I got up and got ready to come to church and Sandra Jo was getting ready and she was, getting, she was heading out a little bit before me because she needed to get some things ready for junior church and some printed materials for ministries. And I said to her, are you headed out already? She said, yeah. I had no fear of anything happening to her between our house and here. But I get missions letters where in some countries... Their child may walk to church and then never see their child again. That child is kidnapped or killed for no other reason than they're a Christian. I was reading an article the other day about how China continues to tighten down on Christianity. And more Christians are having to hide their faith and have secret hidden churches. All around the world, this generation in the church in Philippi, had real things to be afraid of. There was serious persecution coming from the Roman government as well as from the Jewish leaders of the day. Serious persecution, even unto death. Yet we find that God inspires Paul to write and he says to him, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So these folks in Philippi, they have to step back and think, wow, so-and-so got arrested and was hauled off. So-and-so was executed. 
and I should not be afraid? It's a powerful statement to say to people in the midst of serious persecution. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ teaching. He said to you and I, take no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself. He's telling the Christians, you and I, stop worrying about everything that's down the road and live your faith today. That is a philosophical truth that shapes and forms our lives. Because if every day we get up and we worry, is my wife going to leave me? Is my husband going to leave me? Are my children going to become drug addicts? You know, am I going to get in a car crash? If constantly we're fretting and fretting and fretting and loading ourselves with anxiety, what does it do? It just pulls us down in life, doesn't it? We live in a generation of people who are truly fraught with emotional anxiety. Sandra Joe and I were, we were watching, I think it was the news. And in the news article, it was talking about some, something that to me had nothing to do with uh, climate change. And this guy just threw it into the midst of the conversation. And I looked at Sandra Joe, I said, what did that have to do with climate change? And then we started talking because we had recently read an article about this generation of children and how many of them, because of this constant drumbeat that the world is coming to an end, that the oceans are going to flood the continents, that the pollution is going to choke everybody to death, that this, 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 this. It talked about the anxiety of children who are only seven, eight, nine, ten years old. When I was ten years old, the most dangerous thing for me would be maybe the Russians would invade. But this generation is full of anxiety. We're constantly hearing the most dark and gloomy things. And Jesus says, wait. Step back and rest in me. Stop fearing everything. Stop worrying about everything. Should we be a good steward? Of course. We should be a good steward of our society, of our world. We should be a good steward of our possessions, our families. Of course we should be good stewards. But you can't sit and fret and worry about everything every day. And to terrorize children is just beyond the pale for me. So you look at this text. And he says to the church in Philippi who are genuinely faced with perilous times. He says, and nothing terrified by your adversaries. I want you to look with me to Luke chapter 21. This is a great text that helps us to understand just a little bit better. Luke chapter 21, and I'm going to read to you verses 12 down through 19. Here, here Christ is warning them. He says... Before all these things, they shall lay hands on you, persecute you. 
delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. He says, you'll be remembered for this time. And we do remember them for this time. It is turned as a testimony. He goes on in verse 14. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. He's saying, stop worrying about what you're going to say and do when you are faced with the adversary. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, he said, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. Now the word perish is significant. Because he's not saying there's not a hair upon your head that shall be harmed. Because some are going to die. But he says none of you will perish. Because you possess something more valuable than even your life. Listen to verse 19. In your patience possess ye your what? Soul. He's talking to you and I about a deeper place than the outside. He's saying, put your faith and trust in the Lord. Even if the whole world turn against you, if you have Christ, you are a victor. Even if you were to lose your life, you have your soul. So that is why he can write to this church. And he can tell them, stand firm in your faith and do not be terrified by your adversaries. Second Thessalonians 1.4 says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So the earliest Christians, faced with the harshest of persecution, they say, give God the glory. Each day I will live for him. I will not be terrified by my adversaries, but I will instead choose to live a life that becometh Christ, to enjoy spiritual unity with my brethren and my sisters in Christ, that I might in unified labor work for the cause of Christ. They're not going to be defeated by the world around them. You and I this morning, as we come to the end of our service. The Apostle Paul, just as he was looking to the church in Philippi, we have in our hand the inspired word of God that looks all the way to the church in Virgins, Vermont. And it challenges us. It challenges us to live a life that in every way honors the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, as we are dismissed this morning, I pray for you to go forth with us. Help us to not be terrified by the 
pressures, the intimidation, the threats of this world we live in. But help us to live a life that honors you. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a mighty God we serve.